If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I'd like to pause for a moment of thanks for Jace to Jason for agreeing to be my worship leader this morning. Uh, it's really not fair to ask someone to get to church at 10 a.m. on Pride Weekend for worship leading, but he did it anyway. On Wednesday night, over 400 people filled this sanctuary, spilling into our fellowship hall for the inaugural ecumenical Pride worship service. We pretended like we've never heard of someone called a fire marshal. <laughs> Several acts of God were performed, Janet, our incredible office administrator had originally printed 300 bulletins for that evening. She printed 100 more seven minutes before the service started. We still ran out of bulletins, and yet we sang and preached and heard the good news anyway. Rick managed to transform our agreeable gray and Puritan white sanctuary <laughs> into Rainbow Bright's color castle and then at the last minute made it possible for people in the fellowship hall to listen to the service, even though we hadn't thought that overflow seating would be necessary. Clint somehow fit 40 plus singers into a loft in a way that defies physics, and in less than an hour had them singing together in a way that brought us all to tears. Despite being packed in like sardines, Marilyn knew just what to play in order to draw us together even more closely. Joanna entertained kiddos for over an hour with no blood or tears involved. 
And then Reverend, Reverend Kayla Bonniewell preached a poignant sermon articulating what we often refer to as rainbow theology, explicit affirmation of the queer community because the Bible tells us so. It was a remarkable gathering with people coming not only from all over the metro area, but from all over the state. A group from Enid came to see for themselves what a no-holds-barred pride service looks like. Students carpooled in from Stillwater. And after the service ended, a transgender woman who drove all the way from Lawton asked me, is this real? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Father Tim from Grace Episcopal Church in Yukon sitting with someone who was visibly upset and clutching a Bible. It was the kind of upset that affirming pastors learn to recognize, the kind of upset that isn't violent or threatening, but rather clear and deep distress. Later, when I talked with Tim, he confirmed what I suspected. He had been counseling a gay man who was struggling with embedded homophobia, unable to reconcile the love that he had just experienced in worship with what he had been taught about the, what the Bible says about his sexuality. Many of us know the struggle. The Bible, especially in our neck of the woods, is frequently wielded as a weapon. The LGBTQ community knows it more than most. There are a handful of scriptures used as proof to condemn anything other than heterosexual relationships, including the destruction of Sodom in Genesis 19, the laws in Leviticus 18 and 20, and several excerpts from letters attributed to Paul, including Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Timothy. Paul's writings have been particularly harmful. The letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 26 through 27 reads, for this reason, idol worship, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Although serious and sincere study of scripture provides important context and explanation, if one's prerogative, conscious or not, is to extend power and control of the straight white patriarchy, then one is willing to ignore that these verses actually provide an illustration of Paul's larger point, which is this. Idol worship is dangerous. Anything to excess is dangerous. Paul listed 21 different vices that God gave people over to because of their idol worship, including envy, murder, deceit, gossip, slander, hating God, arrogance, faithlessness, and heartlessness. He ends by saying, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Homosexuality would appear to have been swept up by Paul and deposited in the dustbin of condemnation along with all of those other things listed. But even an abbreviated exegesis of Romans 1, for the purpose of a 15-minute sermon, shows that Paul was doing no such thing. 
Because we are reading carefully, we note that Paul explicitly described the behavior he condemned as lustful. He made no mention of love, fidelity, monogamy, or commitment. Because we are reading carefully, we note how the text shows us how the terms natural and unnatural were used in ancient writings, which is to say they were not synonyms for straight and gay. They were boundary markers between what did and did not conform to customary gender roles in a patriarchal context. Because we are reading carefully, we know that Paul's writings are rooted in his world's use of honor and shame as social currency. Because we are reading carefully, we are not content with a plain reading of the text because we know that a plain reading can be deadly, literally. In his book, God and the Gay Christian, Matthew Vines tells the story of Bobby Griffith, whose mother used that passage in Romans to condemn her son, who had recently come out as gay. Tragically, Bobby took his own life because of it. This is the kind of despair many queer people face. LGBTQ youth are almost five times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to heterosexual youth. 40% of transgender adults report having made a suicide attempt, 92% of whom reported having attempted suicide before the age of 25. We are losing our young people. And this, this is separate and apart from a discussion of rights and protections not afforded to queer individuals and families. Understandably, some have argued that given the pain Paul's writings have caused, we should just stick to the Gospels. But then there is the text we read today. Few passages are as, are as beautiful as this one. Few paint a picture of unity and wholeness like this one. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. After reading that text, one wonders if Paul was actually so forward-thinking that he foresaw an expansion of gender identity, was a, a proponent of smashing the patriarchy and ignoring gender roles, and, and even maybe advocating for a redistribution of wealth. I mean, it's a wonder Fox News hasn't reported Paul as a communist. <laughs> Anti-American? I mean... It could also be that they're giving Paul a pass because Paul also instructed slaves to obey your earthly masters in everything and ordered wives to be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, which fits nicely into the white patriarchy paradigm. So what do we do? What do we do with these texts? What do we do with Paul? How do we reconcile these contradictions? We could argue that the best writings were really authored by Paul, and the worst of the writings were simply done in his name by lesser theologians and pastors. We might also say that Paul was an overextended pastor who was trying to put out church fires by giving pragmatic advice. 
It's possible Paul was trying to keep the earliest faith communities alive by recommending that they not overturn the apple cart of the Roman Empire just yet. Any of those options could be true, but none of them quite explain the expansive language, the grand vision, the radical transformation we find in Galatians 3. When Paul insists there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, it is his way of declaring that the ways we divide ourselves, privilege one over another and oppress others, shouldn't be normative for followers of Jesus. Baptist preacher Harry Emerson Fosdick said of the Bible, its revelation is progressive. Treatment of unbelievers moves out from the use of force to the appeals of love. Slavery, never explicitly condemned before the New Testament closes, is nevertheless being undermined by ideas that in the end, like dynamite, will blast its foundation to pieces. Repeatedly, one runs into verses like this. It was said to them of old time, but I say unto you, meaning finality in the Bible, is ahead. We have not reached it. We cannot yet encompass all of it. God is leading us out towards it. There are multitudes of Christians then who think and rejoice as they think of the Bible as a record of the progressive unfolding of the character of God to God's people. To them, the book is more inspired and more inspiring than ever it was before. And I think we find Paul snap dab in the middle of this progressive revelation. Along with theologian Evan Garner, I am persuaded that Paul, even back in the first century, struggled with the same two-kingdom identity that still trips us up today. Paul believed that in the eschatological kingdom-complete sense embodied by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there is no such thing as ethnic, gender, or economic distinction. Rainbow theology so to speak. Yet Paul lived in a world where prescribed roles and societal hierarchies were unavoidable realities. And we still do. We still struggle with prescribed roles and societal hierarchies that have very serious consequences. There is still Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, and we privilege and oppress people based on those distinctions. In 2017, anti-Semitic incidents jumped 57% over the previous year. In the last five years, more than 130 transgender and gender expansive people have been killed in the United States. The gap between the rich and the poor has never been wider. Women running for office are still asked, who will take care of your kids? Instead of, what's your plan for affordable housing, rebuilding the middle class, establishing a living wage, and health care for all? In 2017, black Americans represented 12% of the US adult population, but 33% of the sentenced prison population. 
while white Americans accounted for 64% of the adult population, but just 30% of the incarcerated population. These are our realities. But Paul offers us a vision, a vision to work towards a beautiful vision in which no one is viewed as less than, oppressed, or dominated, a vision that pulls us closer to the kingdom of God. We're not there yet, obviously. So how do we proclaim there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, male or female, for all of us are one in Christ Jesus, while not ignoring the deadly disparities that persist? How do we get to the place where we don't privilege one over another or oppress each other because of our differences? We must insist on ignoring the rule that one doesn't discuss politics and religion in polite company. And we must insist on it because Jesus made it clear that righteousness is strongly connected to economic justice. We must insist that women decide what happens to their bodies and when. We must insist that women are capable moral agents and that reproductive care is health care. We must insist on declaring black lives matter until they do. Saying all lives matter is to pretend that we live in a world where white privilege doesn't exist. It is not enough to be not racist. We must be anti-racist. We must insist on clarity from churches on whether they are queer affirming or not. Because saying God's love is for everyone isn't enough. Straight people haven't been told that God's love isn't for them. We need to explicitly say God loves queer people and they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yesterday, Mayflower marched in the pride parade and I couldn't help but think that it was the embodiment of today's text there is an argument to be made that the pride parade is what heaven will look like. Streets of glitter. <laughs> A place where people shout, I love you, I love you, I love you. A gathering where no one is afraid. Sounds to me like an updated version of the vision we read about in Galatians. May it be so, may we make it so. We've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.